But we're going to start in Revelations, the second chapter. I'd just like to let you know that whoever reads the book of Revelation will be blessed. So if it's something that you haven't done, you should do it because it, you will be blessed. That's literally what the scripture says. He who reads this book will be blessed. So, Revelations 2, 4 through 5. Now, in this chapter, this is a letter about the church in Ephesus. And this is what the Lord says. Now, these are special letters. This is what the Lord is saying about the church. And you know what? I'm going to go back from 4. I'm going to go back a little bit further. I'm going to start at uh, 2. The angel of the church in Ephesus writes... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know, now, the seven stars are seven churches. And every church has been given a lampstand that is a light unto the world, all right? And this is how they shine the light of Jesus. And this is what it's representing. So you've got the church of Ephesians, Corinthians, all these other churches that Paul's written letters to his whole life, okay? Here's what it says. I know your deeds... Your hard work and your perseverance. Oh, that sounds good, don't it? The Lord knows what we've been up to. He knows our hard work and our perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they are not, and found them to be false. Good job. Good job. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. What, what a good affirmation to the church, right? Yet I hold this against you. Uh-oh, you're going to get serious. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first, because if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Hmm. Sounds pretty intense. Now, we might not know literally what when you just read that over. If you haven't done a study, you might not know what that means. But I want to tell you because here's what it is. See, last week we went over 2 Chronicles 7.14. And it was saying that if my people would pray, seek, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and I will heal their land. Pretty much. But it was choice. If you chose, if you seek, if you pray and you repent, why would that be necessary? Well, how many of you have children and you've tried to sit them down and talk to them about something, but they're too busy? Oh, mom, I got to go here. I got, I, when I get home, I'll, I'll talk to you. We'll talk then. And he gets a car and just takes off. And then he comes back and I'm thinking, okay, now is my moment because we're going to talk about this. That was an ugly situation. And I'm like, okay, now we're going to sit down and talk. No, mom, I got this to do. I got to get my stuff ready for soccer. I got to get the golf clubs in the bag because I'm going to go golfing after. How's he going to know what to say sorry for? How's he going to know in his life what to correct if he never takes time to sit and listen? How are we as Christians ever going to know what is displeasing to the Lord outside of something we've read because the Holy Spirit knows all right and so he's going to gently convict and correct and direct us if we never seek what he wants and never pray or talk to him prayer is just talking to God that's all it is it's talking and listening 
It's this relationship. It's how we communicate with God. But if we never communicate, how will we know to repent? So in the scripture, we see that seek and pray come first. Then there's a repentance, correct? So Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first. So we see that seeking is a first thing we're supposed to do, right? But the scripture are connected. Revelations and 2 Chronicles and Matthew, the seek is the same. But if we don't turn back like Revelations, you've forsaken possibly our first love. But if we don't turn back and go back to doing what we did first, seeking and praying, there will be no repentance because you'll think you're right. That's the way man's mind works. We always think we're right. That's how we were made. That's the flesh. That's how we're not willing. But here's the struggle. The question for me tonight is, this is what it says. If we don't, remo- if we don't repent, he removes our lampstand. Hmm. For us tonight, the question is, have we forsaken our first love? And once we what, what's doing what we once did by seeking and praying and spending time with him, as Pastor Tim said, walking with, talking with, spending time with, and we've allowed the cares of the world to come into our life, idols, offensive behaviors, just like Pastor Rick was talking about tonight, putting things before God, that's an idol. That's all it is. It's nothing we whittle out of wood anymore. That's not what an idol is. It's something you put before God. And then you begin to give it your time, your energy, your effort, and all of your thoughts. Have we allowed our minds to be taken captive? Because if so, do we realize that the Israelites were taken captive for 400 years? 400 years they were taken captive by the Egyptians. And here was the thing. As long as they had what they needed, eh, we're all right. It's not bad that we only work for X amount of cents per brick. It's okay. It's just, you know, we're all together. We're all together. We're family. No, that's bondage. That's captivity. And that's what happens to you and I. Is it possible? Is it possible that when we, as a church, as a church, if we don't do this, that our lampstand could be removed? Is it possible that our opportunity to share Christ with our family, our community, our city, and our nation has been removed? Because that's what it's saying here. It's saying that, you know what, that little light that you're hiding under a bushel, if you don't go back to what we did at first, And you continue in this immoral way. You continue not spending time with me and walking your way. I'll just, I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't want to be the church that our lampstand is taken. I don't want to be the church that doesn't know how to pray. I don't want to be the church that doesn't know how to seek the face of of God and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and intervene in our lives. We're being called back, called back to a place where we posture ourselves and we position ourselves in a place that we can be revived. A lot of us have grown dry, thirsty in our perseverance, in in staying away from wicked things, but we've grown cold 
in what we once burned hot in? Is it possible that we too are like the Israelites and we've become stiff-necked? That's what the Bible says. They were stiff-necked people. And you know what it said? That God himself drove them to the wilderness because of their disobedience. Drove them. I don't want to be drove to anywhere that he's not. I don't want to be drove from a place where I can find him right now in his provision. All I have to do is pray and seek and return. Pray and seek and return. Pray and seek and return. God longs to be with you and I. He longs. See, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He didn't come to to beat you. He didn't come to hurt you. He didn't come to harm you. He came to help you. But oftentimes when we think or find things in our lives that are exposed to us, we think that's a bad thing. I was in a small group, in Pastor Rick's small group. He taught him and Lynn, Pastor Lynn, his wife, spoke on, in a small group this year about identity. And it was my week to be in Rick's group. And I went in, and he began talking about an identity of the believer. And he said, do you understand that repentance is your identity? Amen. I went, hmm? You know, that means I did something bad. I don't want to accept that. What it means is, it's a heart like David. It's a heart like David. I'm going to be honest with you. David got himself in the Bible. If any of you know about David, the little guy with the slingshot, he had a really checkered past. Listen to me. The boy did some wrong things, and it hurt a lot of people. It didn't just involve him. It involved everyone else. It wasn't just having an affair, but he kills the man of the wife that he had the affair with because he wanted to hide it. But yet the Lord still looked upon David and said, I wish that you had a heart like David. What? Your heart is what matters. Your heart, the repentance, that's a part of your identity as a Christian. We repent. It's not a bad thing to repent. It's not a bad thing to be gently corrected by the Holy Spirit. And in some situations, it's not bad to be smacked upside the head. I'm just telling you, when I'm in a situation that I'm not listening, I want it a little firmer. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's times that you can look at your child and you can say, Quentin. And there's times you say, boy, you're going to get it. Right? Right? Listen, conviction brings repentance. If we ignore conviction, then you will begin to become calloused in being led by the Holy Spirit. And you will find yourself needing revival. Because when you don't do what the Holy Spirit's gently wooing you to do and turn from your way, you start walking in your way and you become right. And pride takes over and you become selfish. And this is why you don't receive things from the Lord because now you're a disobedient child. I'll just say it that way. I wouldn't call my children that, but it's disobedient. All right, listen to what this says, though. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. And I'm just going to read it. You can follow along if you want, but this is really important because it says, this is Paul writing a letter to the church. And here's what he says. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know that it was painful to you for a little while. But now I'm glad I sent it because... 
not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants for his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any other way. In other words, thank God I didn't have to come down there and beat the living tar out of you and you heard what I said. Because that's the good sorrow that God wants. He wants you to see and turn. But listen, it says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow has produced. This is what repentance produces. Listen to this. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm. You should be alarmed when things are going off around you. But if you're not alarmed, is there a chance there's a need for repentance in our lives? Such longing to see me, such zeal and such readiness to punish what is wrong. You show that you have done everything necessary to make it right. My purpose was not then to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. But I wrote to you that in the sight of God, you could see for yourself how loyal you are and I have been greatly encouraged by this. Godly sorrow. Conviction is good. It is good. And we have to see that conviction leads to repentance. And repentance re leads to a true spiritual change. Revival comes to men and women who are seeking him and living a fully blameless life. And who have the identity of repentance. Now let's go to Luke because I'm going to show you this. This is huge. Now I'm going to jump around and I'm going to be using the NIV because I think it tells the story real simple tonight. But here's what I want to set for you. It's been, now this is not the same story of the Israelites where they've been in Egypt for 400 years. This is referred to as 400 years of silence. God has not spoken. There's not a prophet speaking to the Israelite people, telling them to turn from their ways, seek God, don't build idols. No longer has that happened. It's been removed from them, and he has remained silent for 400 years. And Luke 1, 5, 1, 5 is where we're going to start. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all, not what they liked, not what they wanted to observe, all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. In other words, they were a repented people. There was no idols. There was nothing to be found in them. They weren't coveting their neighbor's wife. They weren't walking around in pride. They weren't griping because God hadn't spoke for 400 years. They weren't murmuring. They weren't complaining. They were simply abiding in righteousness and doing all he commanded and living a blameless life. Is that what I always said? 
But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, go on down to verse 11. It said, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Hmm. Was he doing what he was supposed to be doing first? He was living a repented, a blameless, righteous life because he had been in prayer and seeking the things of the Lord. Or he wouldn't have been able to be blameless because you and I both know that there ain't nobody perfect but Jesus. Right? So we know Zachariah wasn't perfect. Do not be afraid. For your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine. He goes on for that. Okay, 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, let me clear some things up here. For 400 years, God doesn't speak. This couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, has lived a righteous, blameless life in the midst of sheer silence. In other words, we don't, haven't heard a new word, so we're going to continue on with the same word that was spoke years ago, and we're just going to keep walking. Because we know God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're just going to keep doing what we know to do right. Okay? In the midst of this situation. Okay? An angel comes. God speaks. You don't think that Elizabeth and Zechariah were a little happy? Are you sure you saw what you saw? Are you sure? Listen to me, Zechariah. God ain't spoke for 400 years. I'm telling you right now, you better know that you know that was God speaking to you because this is going to go all throughout the land. This was a revival in a man and a woman's life. Not the church, just a man. A man's life that said, oh my goodness, blessing has come. God has spoke. Look what's going to happen. Not only that, but the promise that a revival that started in them was not just for them, but for the world. We're not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist that prepared the way of the Lord. This is John the Baptist that baptized Jesus and put him in authority. The man of authority before Jesus literally said, why am I baptizing you? Because of process, that's why. You're in authority now, but you're going to pass this over. Listen to what happens further on down. This is huge. This is huge. Because look what happens. On down to verse 26, it says, same chapter, same chapter, same book. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth. God speaks again, twice, twice. Six months later, God drops another bomb. To an angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town of Galilee, to a virgin he pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. 
Is the Lord going to be with anything that isn't righteous? Is the Lord going to be with anything that is not blameless? No. So what was Mary? Mary had positioned herself and postured herself in a place that revival could come to her and her family. She was favored of God. So the angel speaks. We know the rest of the story. This is Mary who bore the son of Jesus. Right? Watch this. At, on, on to verse 39. At the time Mary got ready and hurried into town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, wait a minute. Greeted Elizabeth? How'd they know? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you we bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? And as soon as they sounded the greeting, it reached my ears. The bottom line is Mary and Elizabeth are related. Here's what I'm here to tell you tonight. That I don't care if you start seeking and praying. Your family situation will change. The revival begins within you. It trickles into your family. It comes into your church. It comes into your job. Do you know that a secular environment can have a revival for God? Based on a man seeking and praying and posturing himself that he can receive from the word of the Lord. Revival is in you. But you have to posture yourself to receive it when it's God that pours it out. This revival birthed the greatest revival of all time and the greatest awakening man has ever known. Do you know that revival in you goes to revival to your family, to your city, your community, to your nation, but hear me, and creates an awakening in this world? Do you understand that? It restores it restores. So everything that you see as impure starts to move down the line. And your friends see it as impure. Your family sees it as impure. The word that finds this new place in your life of power and strength and love and this inflow of life comes into you and starts trickling out into others. That's revival. But it doesn't come without a cost. See, this is where we fail. I'm going to be real with you. This is where things get tough. This is why I told you that we have to push past our comfort, push past our long service, and be ready to position ourselves in a place to receive. I'm finishing up, but I want to restate something. I want to make sure that you identify that Elizabeth and Mary's families were prepared, prepared to be used by God, to be received, to receive revival, and to disperse what God had asked them to do. We, too, have to position ourselves there. But I believe that I'm not just speaking on revival because it was a subject pulled out of the air. I believe it was a subject pulled out of time that God wanted instilled into your heart that you would be able to identify what you're on the edge of him doing. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you don't prepare yourself, if you don't ready yourself and your family, when it's happening around you, it will pass you by. 
But if my people will seek and pray and turn from their wicked, selfish, prideful ways, I will hear them and heal their land. I'll heal your soul that's been broken from that past relationship. I'll heal your financial situation. I'll heal the sickness that's in your mother that was in your grandmother and that was in her grandmother and that you're afraid is coming to you. I will heal your land. Do you understand? Two scriptures and we're going to wrap up. Habakkuk 3.2. And the NIV, it says, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Cry out. Cry out for revival. I don't want a biblical outpouring of biblical proportion written in scripture, and that's the biggest it got. I'm talking about a biblical outpouring of God's Spirit today in 2021 and beyond. I'm talking that the whole world stands in awe of the God that we serve because he parted the Red Sea for Moses, but what's he going to do for the generation of 2021? What's he going to do for 2022? How's he going to lead Gen X into their place? How's he going to lead Gen Z when they've got their head in their phone and they can't even look their eyes up? How? I don't know, but what I know is I'm going to ready myself. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to position and posture myself in a place that when revival begins to shake, first of all, I can hear it. Secondly, I can see it because I see with spiritual eyes. I hear with a spiritual ear, and I'm ready to do what the Lord wants me to do in these last days. That's how an awakening comes to our nation. God's pushing, pushing, pushing you and I, pushing you and I. Sometimes things aren't easy. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is become a mother. One of the hardest things I've ever done, but it's the most rewarding. Here's what I'll tell you. In that third semester, that little third session, they call it, there's three phases of birth. I'm going to tell you right now, I looked at Randy and said, I'm stopping. I'm stopping and I'm going back. Just tell her to go back in there because we're not coming out. He said, look at me and look at me good. You're going to have this baby and people have them every day and you're not going to die. You shall live and you're going to do it. And all of a sudden, a holy fire come over me and I push the baby out. And every bit of that pressure, every bit of that discomfort, every bit of that selfishness died. Here's what I'm telling you. Some of you have been pregnant a little too long. Some of you are in the third phase of your revival, and some of you got to get a little uncomfortable. Some of you are going to have to have a little bit of pressure, a little bit of tearing, a little bit of discomfort, maybe even a little bit of blood. But I'm telling you, you're going to make it. And when you'll push to the pain, push to what God needs you to get done, you're going to break through and new birth will come. But only if you push. Only if you push. Isaiah 57, 4. And I finish. Whew. Praise the Lord. Build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit one who follows my way and not his own. 
but I live to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God wants to bring revival to you and to me. He's not holding back what he wants to give. It's an appointed time. But will you gripe while you wait? Come on. Will you get weary and stop seeking and stop praying and stop crying out for a revival for you, your family, your city, and your nation? Will you get weary in well-doing and give up? Because this is what happens. See, when we don't see it working the way we want it, then we just get lax in what we do. But when we return to our first love, He restores us. He revives us. He brings an inflow of life, presence, and power. And brings it because when it comes in you, if you had to hold it, it would explode you. So you have to pour his power and his love and his spirit back out. Don't you see? That's how revival breeds. God's looking to do something in his people. Will we allow him is the question. Next week, I believe there's four vital parts of revival. One was repentance. Two is a returning, a returning of this original place with God. It's good news and salvation, which is connected to repentance. But there's a recovery of biblical truth, a recovery of biblical truth. Things that have been written that we have been led to believe, that we have been led to believe, God redefines and straightens some things out because throughout history, they've gotten twisted. God's looking to bring back a recovery of solid biblical doctrine in the hearts of men and women. He's not looking for a loose gospel. He's looking for it to be written tight and firm. So next week, we're going to start on the recovery of biblical truth. And then the last week, we will talk about literally a renewing sense of his presence, holiness, and his power that runs through our veins once revival happens. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to call you to an altar for repentance. And here's why. I don't want to harvest anything in our hearts until God's done a complete work. So here's what's going to happen. First week, you understood. We talked about what it wasn't. We talked about what it was. This week, we talked about its connection to seeking and prayer and repentance and how they go hand in hand. And then the next week, I'm going to line something else up. But on the last week of this, if this is you, I want you to begin to ready yourself. I want you to begin to prepare your spirit and your flesh for what's about to come. Because I'm expecting a true repentance in our lives that we're going to get real serious about the things of God. Because I'm telling you more than ever than I've ever said it before, Jesus is coming back. I heard it when I was young and my grandmother said it. And then as a teenager, I thought I knew more than she did. And I thought, you know what? That old woman's been saying that her whole life. Now I'm that old woman saying it my whole life. Jesus is coming back. 
you better ready yourself. You better get your family in order. You better get this word written upon your heart. You better return back to a truth in the gospel and the word that you know is true. You better know why you know what you believe and where it is and why you believe it. Because I'm telling you, it's going to be tried. It's going to be tested. We as believers are going to be in trial and tribulation. And if you think persecution has come through the last year, I got news for you. That is not the persecution that's anything close to what these people went through in the Bible. Not any of them. And God forbid, I don't want to get to this level of persecution, but I'm telling you, if it means I get to heaven and I hear, well done, good and faithful service, then I'll go through whatever I need to get through to get there. Amen? So we need to learn to prepare ourselves. So I'm asking you, begin in your daily prayer life that you just start saying, God, show me what you need me to see through this series. Show me, God where there's something in me that is not contrite and lowly that I need to deal with because I'm ready to get rid of it. I'm ready to surrender it fully so that I can posture myself in a place that when revival comes, not to just me, but my family, my city, and my nation, and an awakening comes to this world as a whole, you do know there's one last great awakening. And I'm telling you right now, I believe with all of my heart that I am a part of the end time church. And God don't save except the best for last. And he chose me, he chose you, because you got what it takes to do what he needs. And you will listen, you will obey, and you will walk out what he's asked you to do. Don't believe the lie of the devil. You are exactly what God chose for this day and this hour for the entire world. They need you. Amen? All right, stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you on this Wednesday night, and God, we just thank you. Father, we thank you, Father, for an inflow, Father, of power, Father, and just revelation, Father, a trueness of your word. Father, that you're sparking hearts. You're reigniting, Father, and awakening things in people's hearts that have been dead. Father, I thank you that supernaturally, Father, you would prepare our church. Father, we don't want our lampstand removed. Father, we want to keep the important things important. Father, and we've got to come back to a place where first things are first. And that means you. Father, begin to reveal to us what we need to change in our lives to make you number one again. What we need to do, God, to position our hearts to be beating with yours in unity. Help us, God, to not be the Israelite people, Father, that are stiff-necked, but, Father, that we're willing and able and fully surrendered to you, fully surrendered in the things I'm scared of, fully surrendered in the things that I try to avoid, fully surrendered in the fear of failure. Father, help us. Help us, God, be what you need, God, to win this generation in this world to Christ, Father. Help us share, God, the gospel. Help us to not be selfish, but lead us to be selfless as you were. Father, we want to live a surrendered life, not just on Sunday and Wednesday. A surrendered life. that we could be a light unto the world. Prepare us, O God. Keep us safe as we go until Sunday. Father, bring people across our path, divine appointments, 
Father of people, that, that we would be aware, Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to your gentle voice. Father, knowing that you'll lead us in the way that we should go. Help us to become all things to all men that we might win some. From now until Sunday, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Go and be blessed. Love a brother and sister on your way out. Tell them we'll see you back next week. Don't miss it.